Look at y'all, Relentless Church. Look at y'all. Is it like, I don't know what to think. Like, look at all y'all. Is it because I did a Facebook post this morning? Is that, all, is that all you needed all this time? Is a little Facebook post. So good to see uh, everybody. We, we uh, in the school year, uh, our 9 o'clock tends to be our high. In the summer, it's all about the 11. Um, y'all get ready because I'm feeling, I'm feeling good today. All right. One of the reasons I feel good, I'm getting back to doing some things I really enjoy. One of my favorite things in the world is to go see a movie. My bride and I uh, got to go see the Mission Impossible movie this week. And um, I, I want to start with movies because I think about what do I love so much about movies? You know, I love those moments in a movie when you stick it to the man, those moments of defiance, right? And I thought of a few. Anybody remember Dead Poets Society? All right, you guys go way back, right? It's a good movie, all right? That moment where they stand on the desk, oh, captain, my captain, right? Maybe the, the most classic moment is, is Braveheart, right? They're just begging him. They're just begging him. Just say mercy, William Wallace. And what does he say instead? Freedom. Freedom. Yeah, beautiful, all right? Um, a little more, um, we're going to go out of order here, Mackenzie. Um, a little more recent, right? Remember this moment? Right? Put it up, put them up in the sky if you love Hunger Games, only if you love Hunger Games, right? The three finger salute, right? The protest, I had to ask first because I couldn't remember who they were against. It's not the government, it's President Snow, it's the Capitol, that's what they call, right? And then um, um, a moment, one of my favorite movies ever, Rocky movies, right? And under, we, we undervalue Rocky V, right? Rocky V is the one with him and Tommy Gunn. Right? And he trains Tommy Gunn. Tommy Gunn wins the heavyweight title. And he comes to Rocky's bar to fight Rocky. He should be celebrating. And he comes in and Rocky's like, no, I don't want any part of that. And then Tommy's mouthing off. And then Polly steps in and says something to Tommy. And Tommy decks Polly, knocks him down. And Rocky's down there checking on him. And Polly's got blood in his mouth. And he's like, should have left a bum on the street where you found him. And Rocky looks back at Tommy and he says, you, you knocked him down. Why don't you try knocking me down now? <laughs> I'm ready to fight, right? And then Tommy's guy's like, uh, hey, no, 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 no. Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring. Or only fights in the ring. And Rocky says, my ring's outside. And they go out and fight in the street. And it's a beautiful moment. I just love those defiant moments. <laughs> All right. Um, anybody remember 1968? Don't be shy. If you got some age, you know you don't. Young 20-year-old Jaden Hatcher. All right. 1968. Incredibly hard time, didn't live through it, but um, the assassination of both Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and um, Martin Luther King Jr., and it led up to the 1968 Olympics, and uh, we've, got, we've got these two um, these two men. If you remember this moment, it's a big moment, maybe the most famous moment in Olympic. Uh, this is a defiant protest moment. This is Tommy Smith and John Carlos uh, after they won the gold and bronze medal. Well, they were part of something uh, called the Olympic Project for Human Rights. Um, and they were protesting and they wanted some things to change. And they'd gone to their other athletes and they said, we've got to boycott the Olympics because this is wrong. So they said, okay, if we get two thirds to agree to boycott, then we'll not go. So they had a big meeting with all the uh, mostly minority um, runners in the track and field, and they got half to say, we'll boycott. But the other half were like, we've worked our whole lives. We're not going to miss the Olympics. So they didn't get the two-thirds. So then like, okay, if nobody's, it's either everybody's boycotting or nobody's boycotting. So they said, okay, we'll go and uh, we'll not boycott, but we got to do something. They had demands. They said, 
We don't want to be a part of the Olympics unless you get rid of the IOC president who was a Hitler sympathizer. Um, that's got to happen. We got to have more representation. We need more coaches. We have no uh, minority representation on the IOC um, uh, committee that makes the decisions. Uh, we got to get Rhodesia and South Africa out of the Olympics. They shouldn't be here because of apartheid, but they need to be not allowed to participate. And their last request is we got to give Muhammad Ali back his title, which had been stripped from him. Um, because of his protest. So they had all these demands and they ended up deciding that South Africa could not participate in the Olympics. But the other five demands, they basically ignored and did nothing, right? So the boycott didn't work and they didn't. So then they won and they decided they're gonna do this protest of fist in the air, one right hand, one left hand, because they only had one pair of black gloves, right? And this, this moment was them saying, we will be heard, Right? And that's a little bit of the heart of where we're going today as we continue our Behind the Music series. How do we, how do we protest? And, and there, I'm not against protests or boycotts. Sometimes in church you know, world, depending on, you know, the, the, we, can, we can forget that our enemy is not flesh and blood, right? It's not human beings. Sometimes it is systems. And again, we may stand up here one day and say, church, I need you to join me because we're going to go protest and walk. Like, I'm not against that, but we're not the church necessarily. Like, you know, I don't know if there was a period where a lot of churches wanted to boycott Disney. Woo, boycott Disney, right? Last I checked, they're doing pretty well. I don't know, but you do whatever your conscience calls you to do. Um, but who, who we boycott, who we against? We're against our enemy. We have an enemy. It's spiritual. It's evil. It is the devil, right? So we're going to talk about how we, how we fight against that. Now, I'll give you this. There are some similarities between Disney World in the summer and hell. In this, in this father's opinion, um, but that's just me. Young parents, if you're like, you, sometimes we have a lot of young parents um, and are like, hey, are they too young? If you're asking, are they too young to enjoy it? Yes, they are, right? And even if they're older, they're going to enjoy it, but you're not, right? Um, maybe, I don't know. Here's how we fight, church. We don't boycott. Second Corinthians, though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. No, on the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. Show that for us on the screen if you can. Against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think we may be resetting the system, um, which will be important for uh, a video coming up. So this morning, that's from 2 Corinthians 10. There we go. This morning, we're talking about worship as a weapon. We don't fight like the world fights. We know who our battle is against. It's against invisible forces of evil. Now, if you're not a believer here, you're so welcome at our church. So this may get weird to you. Like, you believe there's invisible stuff? Yes, we, we do. And worship is a weapon in that. In our song this morning, every week of this series, we're unpacking the meaning behind a song. It's raise um, a hallelujah is the song we're talking about. And, it, and this word hallelujah, you don't know, you just spoke Hebrew a few minutes ago. It's a Hebrew word. We don't have an English word. So it's, it's the first part of it is the Hebrew for praise. And then Yah is the shorten of Yahweh. So it's just, it's, the, it's a Hebrew way of saying praise God. So instead of translating in English, the song wouldn't work if you're singing praise God. It doesn't sound as cool as hallelujah, Right. Right? You could say praise God, it, all, it means the same thing. So when we raise a hallelujah, that is a weapon. That is our moment of defiance against the spiritual forces of evil that are against us, that are present um, in our world. And you see this, 
It's kind of a crazy thing throughout Scripture. When people, Job, Job's like the worst story in Scripture. When Job finds out that his family has been killed or is dead, he responds with worship. You see it over and over again with bad things happening and people, their response to bad things happening is worship. We have this verse from Psalm 22. It says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. The old King James translate this as that God inhabits the praises of his people. It's this idea that God shows up. He sits among us. He sits in and among and around the praises of his people. And that's a collective thing. You can praise God at home. You need to praise God at home. But there's something different uh, when you get a room full of folks. You know, Raph's in this room. We've got several of our young people that just got back from the high school week of CIY, Christ in Youth Conference, a thousand teenagers just worshiping and going together. And that's, that's a cool vibe and feeling. But it's also scriptural that God shows up in the, in the worship of his people. It's one of our weapons. You see Jesus uh, we've preached on the Last Supper, this, where, where we get communion from. And from the Last Supper, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Like hard, hard stuff. We've preached on this. And what happened between the Garden or between communion, the Last Supper, and the Garden of Gethsemane? They stopped and they sang a hymn, it says. They sang. Why? Because worship is a weapon. This, this song starts with... Um, um, this reference to in the presence of my enemies. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Remember, your enemy is not flesh and blood, right? Your enemy is spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? You have an enemy, Satan, right? So, so this is like, anybody, any UFC fans? All right, you know, there was nobody that raised their hand in first service at nine o'clock. It was like, I don't know if they think that we Christian, like, I'm pretty sure, I don't wanna say that. Um, <laughs> I like UFC. So imagine if you, if you watch UFC, boxing, whatever, imagine between rounds, you know, they're doing the, the talk and working on their face. Imagine if somebody brought out a little table and a platter full of food, steak, and just, and so some UFC fighter was just like eating. They're like, what is happening, right? You're in the middle of battle. That's the picture. It comes, that, that line comes from Psalm 23. Remember Psalm 23? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's like God saying, hey, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna prepare a table. You're in the middle of a fight and we're gonna stop and eat. We're gonna feast. That's how chill, that's how much you can trust me. That's how your confidence, how confident would you have to be? If, if a fighter eats a steak between rounds, he better win, right? Because that, like, that's never been done as far as I know. And God's saying, no, I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies, right? Because you can just sit and enjoy me. And this song talks about we can praise him right in the middle of stuff going crazy around us in the storm, as the song says. But my tendency in the storm is not to worship. It's not my default. My tendency in the storm is to isolate and to get by myself away from you, people that are encouraging me and away from worship, right? When things are, feel like they're falling out from under me, my, my tendency is not, oh, I need to go worship, right? And that's, that's the enemy. We'll talk about the enemy um, a little bit in, a, in, a, in the story of Job. Um, but the enemy is, he's, Jesus calls him the father of lies. He lies to us about what we need. And it's so encouraging to see so many of you here. Um, there weren't near this many people at the 9 a.m. and that's okay. But it's so encouraging because we went through this pandemic and it was scary. And so many people, when the pandemic, when we started to come out of it, people were still just, uh, they were struggling with life and so many things. And our tendency is to isolate from the church, from Christians, from, and we need this. 
We need each other. There's something that God does that's supernatural in the presence of his people and in the worship of his people. Men, any men here? Yeah. Hey, hey. All right, some of you that did not raise your hand on Hunger Games, you knew hey, I'm a man, all right? So uh, men's retreat, we need to get together. We're gonna worship. There's nothing like I don't wanna be sexist. I don't wanna be sexist. And Kelly would say, then don't say whatever you're about to say. <laughs> I don't wanna be sexist, but... When we go on this men's retreat, there's just nothing more beautiful than a, group, a room full of men raising their hallelujah boldly. Like, we need that. We need the strengths of each other as men. So we're uh, October 6th and 7th. There's no slide, but you can, um, you can sign up now, right? We opened that up. Um, I think we've got one sign up, right? So be number two. All right, I haven't signed up yet. I'm not the one, all right? I'm not the one. That's, a, that's fun to say. I'm not the one. All right, so October 6th and 7th, it's so a Friday and Saturday. We're going different place we've ever been, man. This is so, it's just, it's just, if you don't know a lot of guys, it's just a beautiful time for a church. to be different than what we've done. If you, like, I'm inviting you right now. This is a personal, pretend like I come into your house, knocking on your door. I'm inviting you to come with me October 6th and 7th. It's 16 and up this year, so we're giving a little discount for father and son or grandfather and son, like whatever. Like, come on, it'll be, it's, it's not a father and son retreat. Like, you don't have to bring your kid or your dad to come, but we're just saying, we need this. Now, what about when you're in the middle of the storm, have you ever thought, why am I gonna raise a hallelujah to the one who's raining on me? Right, he's the source of the storm. Why, why am I gonna give him praise when he's doing this to me? You ever thought that? Right, we gotta change our, our wording and our thinking because scripture wouldn't teach us that he's doing this to you. Right? If you think that everything bad going on is something God doing, some of you still, is you gotta get into the gospel. When something bad happens, your very first reaction is, what did I do wrong? Right? You think everything that bad is a punishment. Right? That's not the, the relentless God who all, just keeps coming with his love. Right? So it's not always what you did wrong. Right? It's, it's the one that's gonna work in the mess. We've talked about that all the time. He works in the mess. Right? And this is something I've been... I've been walking through. So many of you know I had a stroke November 15th, 2022, right? And, and I'm having more good days than bad days, um, which I praise God for. God has been so incredibly good. He's been so incredibly good in my recovery, right? We didn't know how it would be. We did not think eight months ago that we'd be where we are, right? And feeling like we're feeling. And this message, I'm telling you, this, that learning this truth has helped me so much in my recovery. But he's been so good. And I, and I felt a little guilty for asking this question, but I started to ask God this question the last couple months. I said, you've been so amazing in my recovery. I can never doubt your existence and your reality. You've been so near and so clear and so wonderful. And, and that's your power. You had the power to raise Jesus from the dead. And that's what my faith is built on. You had the power to help me through something that could have been disastrous. Why didn't you use that power to prevent the stroke? Right, were you sleeping that day? And then like the next day you're like, oh, I gotta go help. I know he wasn't sleeping, but I'm trying to like just get my head around. If you're powerful enough to save me what could have been the end of me and then so powerful to help me recover and, and get back to, you know, and not have a lot of the issues a lot of stroke victims have. If you're so good in that, why couldn't you just been good and powerful one day earlier? And in that questioning, God has taught me there's something off in the question, right? And, and what he's been teaching is that if I, I could have done that, you're right, 
And it's not that I did that to you, but that did happen. And I could have shown up a day earlier. And if that would have happened, you'd miss out on some things. There's some stuff that I'm learning about God. There's some stuff. What what does God love so much from each of you? I don't have to know your story. Young people in the room. What does he want desperately from you more than anything? He wants dependence. He wants you to depend on him. It's much easier to depend on him when you got no other choice, right? So, so it's, it's him teaching me and him teaching us. Um, it's not that he wasn't good enough to prevent. One, how do we know? Maybe we need to raise a hallelujah for all the stuff he did prevent and we don't know about. All the stuff that didn't happen, you know, when you were, you should have been in a car wreck, but you barely missed it, all the stuff, right? So that's one. Number two, what, what I'm learning is that he was good enough to tell us in advance. He didn't lie to us. Jesus said, on this, in this world, you will have trouble. Like, it's coming, all right? And then most importantly, what, what he's teaching me on this is like, why didn't you come a little early, it, earlier is the greater good or plan is learning that God can carry me through this versus preventing it, Right? If he would have prevented it and somehow he let me know, hey, I saved you from a stroke, I would praise him. That would be so awesome, right? But there's stuff that I'm learning about as he's carrying me through my recovery that I wouldn't learn if he prevented it. It's powerful. And that makes me want to raise a hallelujah. And let me say one more thing on this because we're learning as a church. I don't want you guys to think because sometimes you hear about my stroke and you just think, man, this church is jacked up, man. They're always just, it's just heavy and like it's going to get heavy in the video I'm going to show you in a second. But that's just life. So there's some people in our church that life's going really well. Don't ever hide that. We need you, right? But there's always in a church, there's always going to be people that are struggling with something, right? We got to talk better to them, all right? And it's not what we're saying is wrong. I think sometimes it's our timing, all right? So this, this truth, it is true. God works through everything and he can make good out of anything. He can, that's true. But I don't want to hear that the day after my stroke. Right? It's just a little early. It's not that you're unloving. Your heart is so pure. We just got to be a little smarter. If, if somebody's, uh, you just found out about their divorce yesterday and you see them at church, oh, God's going gonna, gonna, gonna to do so much good. I'm not ready to hear that. I wasn't ready to hear that November, December. Right? Give us a little space and time. Yes, you can say that to God. God, say it in your prayers. You're going to do good in this situation. Say it all day. But when you say it to the person who's in, it's so raw, they're like they're sitting in this heavy grief, sometimes hearing how good God's going to make it. It's not encouraging. Sometimes it, sometimes it makes you, it might get you punched. Um, right. So just be smart with the timing of yes, God is good and he will work. But sometimes just some time needs to go by before we, we say that because, um, Unfortunately, uh, some stories just don't have the best ending. This song, I, I, we did the series, Raise a Hallelujah, or Behind the Music, and each week we're unpacking the story behind the song. Little did I know that there's actually a video of the story behind the song, Raise a Hallelujah. So it's an 11-minute video. I don't like that's too long, people's attention span. So I, I showed it to my wife and my daughter, and my daughter, 18-year-old daughter said, oh, you've got to show it. So I was like, oh, we're showing it. She said, she's that strong on it. So this, I didn't know that this song was written in Sophia, North Carolina, which I'd never heard of before this video, but this song was written um, in our own state. So I want you to hear the story of this song. So hang with this video for 11 minutes. 
we got the news that he was in extremely serious condition and it just went from worse to worse. In about a 12 hour time period, it, it went from, he's just kind of had, had this little sick thing at home to life or death. We're, you know, we were in a, we're in a battle for a child's life and for a family. I'm a little bit of a, um, a nut when it comes to Christmas because I didn't have the lights outside and all of that. We grew up, you know, kind of poor, and, and um, so this was a really special Christmas for us. Um, you know, we went out and got our tree, and stockings were hung, and then everything changed. We love to do uh, train cake every year together as a family, and Jackson and I were actually doing that, just me and him that day. So it was a super fun, like, mommy-son moment. And we were making the cake, and then that evening, just not long after that, he was just laid out on the floor. I knew this, he's not okay. He needs to go to the hospital. And so we rushed him to the ER. He was just, like, so sick, and I could hardly, you know, get him to the hospital. The doctor, had called me up and he said, I'm really concerned that he might have E. coli. When I heard that, I thought, oh, psh, that's like one in a million chance. I don't feel like that would be possible. Um, and if it is E. coli, that's treatable. And a lot of times E. coli doesn't, I mean, it's just a terrible sickness and it passes through the system. But in our case, um, he contracted HUS that, which then developed into kidney failure and to the most severe, um, the most severe case of HUS. The doctor had said that this is basically out of their realm of capabilities and that we had to go to a different children's hospital. And I was thinking, oh, that's gonna be in the next few days. He said, no, you need to go tonight and you're gonna get on a helicopter, we're gonna fly him there. I was just flooded with the sense that I might never know my boy. Growing up to be a man, it might be this week that I lose my son. All of a sudden, his speech starts to slur. He just started not being able to communicate, not being able to respond. In the middle of the night, they rushed us up to the PQ and called the neurosurgeon in. They tested him and there was no response. There was no pain response. There was no recognition of me. And at that moment, I thought, I, I'm losing my son. Even if he makes it through this, I don't know if he'll ever know me again. He was just sprawled out on the bed and couldn't respond to anything. He was gone. There's a time when you've said every prayer you can say, and you don't have the strength to praise and worship anymore. And you haven't slept for weeks. And you're just kind of undone. And that was a moment for me when I was undone. The flip side of that is, I feel like that was the moment that I really began to feel the prayers around the world. Hi, it's Christmas morning, and a lot of you are asking how Jackson's doing. Just want to say thanks for all your prayers and support. It's been overwhelming. Um, 
It's a really long story, but it's really complicated right now, and we really need a Christmas miracle. They can't get to his blood. Um, there was something supernatural that, that happened that brought the church together. I would pull up social media and I would just read people's prayers in the comments of people all over the world. And I've never met them before, but they were just crying out for my son. We were in the brink of life or death and people would be posting comments on our Facebook. We are up praying for you. People posting by the thousands, commenting, and they'd be all over the world. We're in Brazil, my church, whole church is praying for you. I'm in Russia, my little children pray for your son every day. I didn't have any prayers left to say, but I could feel and see and hear the prayers being said on my behalf. Yeah, just, this is a box full of letters and something that we've really treasured. This is the bed that Jackson is laying on. And Jesus is healing him. They're in the middle of the world. Oh, well. Jesus, from Mercy, four years old. Hooked up to everything, they allowed me just to like hold him in my arms and you could just see the light still in his eyes. And I just remember just standing and declaring over him he was gonna, he was gonna raise up out of that grave and he was gonna, he was gonna live. We'd get good news and then worse news. Just, it was so up and down and so we'd go to the hospital and they said they thought he'd be okay so they sent us home. And then to find out that he's worse than you even thought the first time. And then you're at the hospital and you're thinking, you know, he's gonna get better. And then you find yourself on a helicopter and then you find yourself in a <sighs> the head of the PICU came in and said we have to get we have to get a central line in tonight they couldn't give him another sedative so it would be like going in basically having surgery on a child without any anesthesia and the doctor took us aside and put us in another room they took us in a room and explained we had to have this procedure done or we would lose him, but there were so many risks to having the procedure done. I remember the night we got the text that they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. When you got the text, you just collapsed into my arms and just like began to weep. And I could just feel like, like, we're gonna lose, like we're gonna lose Jacks. like we're not gonna win this one. There's not gonna be victory on this battlefield. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up that only moments of trauma and hmm. intensity can actually call forth. In those moments for us, like the only option is like, we just have to worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like it's, it's your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter, like the Lord's not gonna hear it. This is gonna be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And, um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no, and the melody just erupted out of my heart that um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. 
he sent me a song, and I didn't know to what extent, but it said his their community had prayed for Jackson, and in a spontaneous moment, they came up with a song, and so they just you know recorded it and sent it to me. I took that song over my phone and I played over my son over and over again. You know, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was I was fighting warfare and and it was wasn't just me, it wasn't alone. I had people <laughs> literally making weapons, writing songs and sending them to us. It still humbles me and baffles me. The power of global prayer, the power of community, the power of believing together. He started talking again. What did you just paint a picture of? You know, he was, you could tell it was, it was still like fragile, it was still coming back, but he was talking again. And that was like amazing. He was asking in the cutest two year old voice, like everything he can imagine that he liked, you know, I want a hamburger, I want a hamburger. <laughs> You know, but we were so happy to hear him talking again. From talking with Joel, the tone started to feel like, oh wow, we, we're coming out of this, I think. Just the shift internally of like, we made it was incredible. We walked in to the hospital just before Christmas, and now we're sitting here with a healthy son taking his nap right now. Hey buddy, look, we're going home. Look, you haven't been outside for a month. I, I remember hearing the news that uh, Jackson is coming home. And it was like, uh, it was like Christmas. We believe in the power of praise. We've seen a, God do a lot. And I don't know the secret to all of it, but I do know that Jackson is well today. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but wonder or think that uh, that that praise had a part of that. This is part of our story now, and it's part of Jackson's testimony of his life that the world will know that miracles happen. This gospel is not haphazard. It's not a Russian roulette. It's not a guessing game. It is the absolute nature of God revealed through His goodness and His kindness. And what is necessary is for the people of God to rise to the occasion, to face the impossibilities of life with the confidence of God's character, His nature, and His promise. There's no other option. We were called to this. This is our responsibility. It is our privilege. We started this year saying that we were going to become a praying church, and we have, and we are becoming a praying church. And maybe a next step in addition to that is becoming a praising church. And we've always praised, but prayer as a weapon and praise as a weapon. But i got to ask a, a question I don't want to ask after a video like that. What if God had not healed Jackson? Right, part of the spirit of this song is I'm going to praise God. I'm going to raise my hallelujah. Either way, when he answers and when he doesn't answer. And that goes back to a long history of faith. There's uh, three guys in the, in the Old Testament, three uh, Hebrews, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that uh, there was a law made. You have to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. You have to worship the King Nebuchadnezzar idol. And they refused to bow, so they were in trouble. They're getting ready to get executed for their disobedience. They're getting ready to get thrown into a furnace. And what they say to the king is, 
Our God is able to save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we're going to praise him. We're going to praise him either way, right? And that's, that's our heart. Um, but I think we got to change the way we think when bad stuff happens. Like, why would God do that to us? We learn a lot from one of the hardest stories in Scripture, that of Job. Job had everything you could think of happen to him. If you go back to Job 1, the conversation between God and Satan is really tells us a ton about who God is and who Satan is. It says God's having like a meeting with his angels and, and Satan, who was the dark angel, he was an angel before he rebelled against God. He shows up and God says, what are you doing? And Satan's answer is, I've been doing what I do. I, I go back and forth on the world. I'm checking people out. I'm roaming. He's always on the prowl. And God says to Satan, have you noticed my guy, Job? He's the man. Like he's blameless. He's upright. He has integrity. Um, he fears me. He follows me no matter what. And Satan's response is, of course he does. Look at all you've done for him, right? You've protected him. You've blessed the work of his hands. He's got a great life. Of course he's all that because everything's good. He said, here's Satan's accusation to God. But if you took that away, he would curse you to your face, right? That's the heart of our enemy. Like he just wants us to turn and rebel or not find or whatever. He'll do whatever he can. And he's the father of lies. So he'll put lies in place. So God, God's attention, he, he got his attention with that. And he said, all right, don't harm Job physically, but do what you want to do. It wasn't that God wanted to do this to Job. Is that somebody hates you. There's a real enemy and the enemy wanted to do what he does, hurt, destroy. So, so he did. And then Job, if you know the story, Job uh, cried out to God, had a hard time, didn't do everything right, but what he never did was curse God, even though his wife said, just get it over with, just curse God and die. That comes from Job, right? In the, in the second chapter, God and Satan come back together, and God's like, my God, Job, see, he didn't curse me. And Satan's like, well, he didn't, but he's like all humans. If he has physical pain, he will. Like, he'll curse you to your face if he, it's because you, nothing's happened to him, it's only the people he loves, right? Which is so, it's such a Satan, it's so, there's lies, right? It's, it's, it's harder to see loved ones hurt than it is. You hurt yourself sometimes. But then Satan uh, went and, and then attacked Job with all kinds of awful sores and everything, and he still um, didn't curse God. And God, here, here's, we're, we're church, we always have been, we always will be. We're church, we say for the untold and unconvinced. What's that mean? It means you have people in your life that, that don't, know this Jesus in a personal relationship way. We want this to be their place, right? We're always trying to preach to them and prepare for them. Um, and, and I try to think sometimes like, like somebody who doesn't know Jesus thinks. And when, when somebody on the outside hears this, it's completely unfair, right? Because they hear what we're saying. What we're saying is we're praying for a miracle in whatever situation. And if God is miraculous, we're gonna say, praise God. And if God isn't, miraculous and doesn't give us the healing we ask for, we're going to say, praise God. So it's like, there's no, there's, there's no, God's not doing anything because you're going to praise him either way. Right? And our answer is yes. You're very perceptive. It is. We come to God with all of our stuff and ask for miracles boldly. And sometimes he answers and sometimes he doesn't. Well, why did, what, how does he pick? Not my problem. Above my pay grade. Right? That's part of the mystery in this song that we sing about in the middle of the mystery. Right? He chooses what he chooses because he's God. Um, and what's true, even though I said earlier, we gotta be careful with the timing of when we say, hey, that's gonna turn into something beautiful. 
But uh, Joe was up here a few weeks ago. Joe, I don't know if you stole this from somebody, but it was awesome. He said, you know, and this is, this is true in this room. He said, so often our tests come a, become a testimony, our mess becomes a message, and our breaking point becomes a breakthrough. That was good. I stole that. Right? So, and that, like, we could prove that row by row. If you're not sure about all this, a lot of us in this room are, like, you cannot talk me out of the truth of Jesus comes from him walking with us through some really, really hard things. And it's okay to, to doubt. I know scripture speaks against doubt, but sometimes um, you got to understand what it means. Our worship has to be louder than our unbelief, right? That's part of the one of the lines of this song. Right, and that's, that's a connection to Mark 9 where there's a father who's got a sick kid who's convulsing and possessed by a demon. It's a bad deal. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, if you can help us, we really need. And Jesus says, if I can. He says, anything is possible. What do you mean if I can? And the father's response is, it's a crazy line. He says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Well, you just said you believed. He says, I believe, Help me in my unbelief, meaning I'm trying to believe, but there's a gap between a where I am and I think where you want me to be, right? Jesus allows us to talk to him like that, right? If you have a gap, God will fill that gap in his own way. I've had some, some folks in this church, because I, I love having conversations with people that just don't follow Jesus and just get into it. I had a guy tell me, he's like, I love your faith. I want your faith. I just can't. I just don't, I just don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I'd like to. I wish I did, but I just don't. Right? You can talk to God that way. He will fill those gaps um, in our life. And, and we all, even those of us who are following believe, sometimes you're going to have a gap between what God would want you to believe and what you can actually believe he can do in your life. Right? And our response should be, help me in my unbelief. We can say that without guilt, permission is given. Um, not Not acting like I believe when I really don't and saying the right things. No, being real and authentic of like, I believe, but God help me in my unbelief. Because we all have an enemy and his specialty, he's the father of what? Lies. So we all have lies. Sometimes they're from our enemy, sometimes they're from within. Some of you lie to yourself, you're doing Satan's job for him, right? Our worship has to be louder than that. There's competing voices in all of our hearts and lives and our worship has to out, drown out the lies that we all struggle with. Um, Psalm 42, I've preached a lot on it because it was so dear to me in my sabbatical is it starts with, uh, as the deer longs for water, so my soul longs after you, O God. And I realized God was teaching me, my soul doesn't long for him like it used to. And then um, I didn't know the stroke was coming at that time and, and all the struggle I've had with anxiety and stuff, I just had no clue about. And that, then I find out the end of that Psalm 42 says, why is my soul so downcast? Why am I so distraught? What's wrong with me? And what's the answer? Put your hope in God. And then these six words have changed my life. For I will yet praise him. It's not, I will praise you when I'm not so disturbed, when I, when I get out of this, this mess. It's not, it's for I will yet, in the middle of it, I'm gonna praise him. I'm gonna give my hallelujah right in the middle of the mess. It's helped me so much. People, uh, you know, first service, it was, uh, man, you, 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 you seem... Um, you seem you know, more like yourself today, right? I appreciate that. Well, you know what it is? 
I know that this message is gonna help some people. I didn't know this as a young Christian. I knew worship was something you do when you, when you love God and you follow, that's all good. I didn't know worship was a weapon that when I feel drifting, like I don't know if I wanna go to church today, when I feel like I don't know if God's there, when I feel like I don't know if I'm believing in a fairy tale, when I'm, believe, when I'm struggling with all that stuff, that's when I need worship the most. I didn't know when my dad passed, when I lost somebody I loved, you know, and that grief that I'd never known. I didn't know the very best thing I could do for my soul in the middle of my grief was worship. I didn't know. And some of you don't know. And, and it's a hard life, right? If you're doing good, great. The reality is you're either coming out of a storm, heading into a storm, or in the middle of a storm. Right? That's, that's just how we are. So now we're equipped. One of our best weapons is to use worship as a weapon, not to use it, but to, we're equipped with this. Something happens miraculously when we raise a hallelujah in the middle of mess. What does it say? The lyric says, up from the ashes, hope will arise. Right? You cannot live this life without hope. We see so much hopelessness around us in Raleigh, North Carolina, and throughout the world. We see so much hopelessness. When you lose hope, You've lost everything. Well, how do we hope when we're going through everything that we gotta go through? Well, it's the gospel, right? It was the ultimate hopelessness. We were hopeless to follow God's law. The whole Old Testament is human beings trying to follow God and blowing it over and over and over. And then Jesus shows up and he says, I'm not just another guy, I'm actually God in a human body. And people believed it and he was doing stuff nobody had ever done and people gave their whole heart to him and his, his inner circle, you know, the early church, that became the early church, like they were all, we're gonna lose our lives for you because you're the real deal. Then he got arrested and they thought, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna get out of this. He always gets out of it, then he didn't. And then he died like the most brutal, horrible death you can imagine. Like thinking somebody's actually God and seeing him uh, mocked and beaten and tortured and then crucified on a cross, it was hopeless. People thought, we really thought he was who he said he was. He must not have been because he just got taken out in the worst way and he's gone, we'll never see him again. Then he did, well, everything we're built on as a church is him raising from the dead. When he defeated death, it brought us hope. There's nothing this life can throw at us that Jesus can't handle. Right? We like to say his arm is not too short. Was well, that just faith? Yeah, it's faith that he did rise from the dead. If he did defeat death and there's nothing in your life that he's like, oh man, I don't know, right? It doesn't exist. So from the, the death of Jesus came the resurrection of Jesus. Out of that, out of ashes, it's always out of really hard things that hope just rises up. One more line, it says, fear, you've lost your hold on me. We got an issue with fear in our church. We got an issue with humanity, but I'm saying specifically, just talking to so many of you, we're, we live, so many of us live scared lives. I've never dealt with fear um, like I did with my anxiety and am I gonna have another stroke? And it's just, man, it is not fun to live waiting to see what bad's gonna happen today, right? And, and what we say in Corinthians, that scripture that I started with, it says that, that we don't fight like the world, that, that our weapons and worship's one of them, it demolishes strongholds. If you've ever dealt with anxiety and fear, it feel, it's a strong hold. What does that mean? It means it's a strong hold, like it's got you and you have trouble like getting out of it and you can't do it on your own. Fear you've lost your hold on me. That's part of why I'm fired up today because I can, I can, I'm not all the way recovered or any of that, but I can say by the power of worship as a weapon and the goodness of God, fear has lost its hold. I'm not, I just refuse to live in fear. That's not living. Right? It's just waiting for something horrible. God wants to release you from that. Right? He wants to release you from that. And 
You know, so the defiant moments, like what's your moment, you know, for the Rocky or the Braveheart or the, what, what's our symbol? It, instead of holding up three fingers like Katniss Everdeen, then what we do is we worship. That's how we, that's what we do. That's spitting in fear's face. If fear is dominating you, the best thing you can do is worship right in fear's face. That's your, some of you need to, next step. Next week, you didn't know this, we haven't told you. Next week is Baptism Sunday. Hello. <laughs> right? So maybe that's the next step. Maybe some of you know, you know, we already got people we know are ready to be baptized. That's why we're doing it next Sunday because we didn't want to have them wait any longer. Um, maybe, maybe you've known God, believed in God, and you've just been scared. You don't understand baptism or you just think, man, he's not talking to me. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not, but maybe God is. So if you would like to be baptized, all you got to do is go on our website, you know, fill out the little form and we will contact you. We would love to have that conversation. You just can't, you can't live this life in fear. Maybe you're scared to believe God could actually do something beautiful and crazy in what you're going through. Maybe you don't want to get your, no, maybe, maybe you don't want to, you know, put your hope in him and then it not happen and you're scared of what that'll do to your faith. Listen, that's how your faith grows. But listen, I did not believe Romans 5. I've talked about Romans 5, but it says we rejoice in our sufferings. So I was like, what are you talking about? I don't rejoice in my suffering, God. You can put that in scripture, but that's not true for me. I don't, why would I rejoice in suffering? And the reason is because what I'm walking through with many, what you've learned, that suffering in Christ in a relationship with Jesus, he'll carry you. Suffering leads to endurance. You don't wanna try to live this life without endurance. Endurance leads to character. He'll change who you are. And the character produces hope. So if we love hope, which we need, the path to it often is through suffering that leads to endurance, that leads to character, character leads to hope. And it says, hope will not put you to shame. Stop being scared to hope that he can do something in your life, in your marriage, in your walk, in your issue, right? Hope will not put you to shame. So it's time to make a move. Some of you just need to sing in the face of fear this morning. Worship can change your week, right? I was gone two weeks ago. I was uh, traveling and... Um, you know, you know, when you travel, sometimes we go to ball trips or whatever. So I don't know about y'all, but we, I, we just eat bad when we're on the road, right? You just eat a bunch of fast food. I started feeling it, right? And just like, cause I've been trying to be healthy and just like, I, I, this is a foreign feeling to me. The thought of, man, I need a salad, right? Excuse me, right? Right. So, so there's something. So I came back here last Sunday and I told Seth, like, it's so good just to be back in church and be with you and worship with you. And I wasn't preaching. We're so blessed as a church to have uh, guest preacher like Kambui a month ago and then Joy and Raph both just stand up here doing so beautifully. All right, so I was here last week and I told Seth, it's just, I forget how good we are. Like we do worship really well, right? And it's special. And I just, when you don't worship, when I'm talking about you can worship at home, you can do that all day, but when you don't come among God's people and worship, you start to get off spiritually. That's why this is so, um, so important, right? And I needed it last Sunday because I was out a week, right? We all... We all need it. It can change your week. It can change your life. It can change our church if we worship as a weapon. So I'm going to ask you to worship as we close. And um, I use a line I used from a worship leader from way back. His name was David Crowder. We would go to student trips like many of our high schoolers were gone this week to CIY. And we were at a worship concert one time, and David Crowder was leading worship. He stops the song, and he says, all right, y'all, I need a little less pretty and a little, a little more loud which for somebody like me who does not sing pretty, that helped me worship. I never forgot that line, less pretty, more loud. I think that's, you know, the heart of God, right? We, we are, and it's hard because there's people behind, they're not behind me, but they're gonna be in a second. Come on up, y'all. 
Uh, they're so talented. Our musicians, our vocalists, they're so talented. It hasn't always, we've always had talented people, but it's taken some time to become who we are. I remember some days in the early days in the theater when I was like, oh no, how many more songs, right? Um, I don't feel that way anymore, right? So they're going to sound good. That's what they're supposed to do, right? We want people on stage that sound good, but God doesn't, if your voice just isn't pretty, God loves it. He made it that way on purpose. So make a move. Be defiant. Be, be defiant today. How, if you're just struggling, what do you, how, how, you raise a hallelujah, even when you don't feel it. That's what I've learned. When I don't feel it, that's why I don't, when I need to get in my closet and get to church the most, because when you don't feel it, it is such an active protest against the oppression in the world to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to raise my hallelujah right now. Would you stand? Let me pray this. Father, I thank you for how you show yourselves. God, would you show yourself to everybody in this room in whatever way you choose and want. God, for just for next steps, for some of these guys to say, I'm going on that men's retreat. God, maybe for somebody in this room that's never even considered baptism, would you just touch their heart and give them courage to commit their life to you once and for all. And God, maybe for some that really struggle to worship because of whatever. God, I pray we could collectively raise our hallelujah today. I pray it would change our Monday and our Tuesday. God, would you just come and, and sit and inhabit in our praise? In Jesus' name, amen.
interpretation needed in this part of song. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Here we go. Yeah. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. intentional about worshiping him um, this week, God. And we just thank you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week.